Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you are our guest, we are journeying through the Bible, through the book, and each week we're pay- taking a passage out of one of the books of the Bible and then giving you the, the, the reading plan for the week. This week you're in the book that's named after the shortest man in the Bible, Nehi Maya. Okay, I've just seen if you're awake. Y'all need to laugh a little bit today, even if it's corny. I want to talk to you about discouragement today. I believe it's a message we all need to hear. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Nehemiah. This is the last book of the historical record in the Old Testament. So everything after Nehemiah in your Bible fits into the time period between Genesis and Nehemiah. For example, during the time of Nehemiah, Malachi was prophesying. Malachi was the prophet during that time. Uh, And so I want you to understand that. And I mentioned to you last week when we were looking at Ezra, that Ezra and Nehemiah kind of coincide because at the beginning of the book of Ezra, you have the edict from Cyrus, the Persian who had taken over the Babylonians. And remember, the children of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. He allows some of them to go back, and Zerubbabel goes back, begins working on the temple. There's some interludes in there where they break the work and then they finally get it built. And then there's a 60-year period between that time in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra and Esther fits in there. Esther was probably the stepmother or was the stepmother to Artaxerxes, who's the king that Nehemiah is the cupbearer for. There's a 60-year period in there and uh, where Xerxes is no longer the king, and Artaxerxes, the first, is the king. Nehemiah is the cupbearer. And Ezra and Nehemiah go back. Chapter 7 of Ezra, Ezra goes back to lead the people back into spiritual renewal. And Nehemiah goes back to help rebuild the walls around Jerusalem because of the lack of security and the attacking that they can have. So you can basically break down Nehemiah into two parts. Part one would be chapters one through seven, which would be rebuilding the wall and put chapter seven, excuse me, chapter eight through 13, renewing the covenant or or spiritual renewal. And Malachi also was coinciding during that time. So just a brief overview. I've given you a little bit there. I mean, it's frustrating to try to just give you just a little bit but I want us to focus today on chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, even though I listed verse 10. I want to back up to verse 7. They're rebuilding the wall. They build this wall in 52 days, which is incredible. But they get a great start on this. But then something happens here in chapter 4. Verse 7. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish we're not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything until we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and arose, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing. I love that phrase. That all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, I pray today for the people within the sound of my voice, whether they're watching online or they're here in this room or they're seeing this by television, we pray that you would lift up their hearts, especially those who are discouraged. Lord, it happens to all of us. And this time, we seem to have a lot of that going around. So I pray today that you would speak to our hearts and help us draw our strength from you and that you might be our vision. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There were two men walking out on an open field that came across a big hole in the ground. They wondered how deep the hole was, so they picked up a rock, pitched it in the hole, and listened for it to hit. Couldn't hear it hit the bottom. So they found a bigger rock, got both of them on each side and pushed it over in the hole and listened for it to hit. Still couldn't hear it hit. Happened to be a railroad cross tie laying there, so they picked it up, one on each end, heaved it over in the hole, and they're listening for it to hit when all of a sudden a goat comes running up and jumps right in the middle of the hole. Well, they're standing there looking down in this hole wondering what in the world has happened. Another man walks up a few moments and said, have any of you people seen my goat? And they said, well, you're not going to believe this, but we just saw a goat jump in this hole right here. And he said, 
well, that's not my goat. He's tied to a railroad cross tie. (laughs) Sometimes you feel like that goat. You're being pulled down in that hole. Now, if you didn't like this one, try this one on for size. (laughs) Wyoming, cattleman, is riding his horse out on the plains. He comes around a bend and just in time to see a bull about to charge a cowboy who's fallen off his horse. The bull charges him. The cowboy runs and finds a a hole in the ground and jumps in that hole. And as soon as the bull passes, cowboy jumps out of the hole and standing there. Bull turns around, pawing the ground. He's madder than ever and comes back. About the time he gets there, the cowboy jumps in the hole. Bull passes. He jumps out of the hole. And this goes on back and forth several times. And finally, the cattleman hollers at the cowboy and says, why don't you stay in that hole? Cowboy said, there's a bear in that hole. Sometimes you feel like you're either being charged by the bull or eaten by the bear. Or maybe you feel like the farmer who had a pretty rough year and had a testimony time and a revival. He said, I have a mountaintop experience every day. Some days I'm on the mountaintop. Some days the mountain's on top of me. Discouragement to me is one of the chief occupational hazards of a believer. And you may think, well, if you're always right with Jesus and you're walking with the Lord and you've got everything together, you won't ever get discouraged. Well, don't tell that to Moses or Elijah or Jeremiah or Jonah or David or Simon Peter because all of those guys got deeply discouraged and they were walking close to God. So it has nothing to do with your spirituality when you get discouraged. There are circumstances that sometimes sort of knock us off our feet a little bit. That's what happened here. They were building this wall, and in 52 days they completed, but right in the middle of it, it almost stopped. And Nehemiah does something to help get things going again. And so I would like for a moment to look... This is what will not be an exhaustive list, but let's look at some of the reasons for discouragement. I think there are some right here in this passage. You see these folks that are working, then all of a sudden, these reports come of everybody's can't do this, and there's, there's going to be an attack from without, there's, and then you see some problems within, so let's label them for a moment. First of all, the first reason you see is fatigue. Verse 10 says, the strength of the laborers is failing. They were dead tired, worn out. In fact, the word failing means stumbling or tottering or staggering. So tired, they could barely stand up. You ever been that tired? Have you ever noticed when you're that tired, all the problems around you seem to be twice that size? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get a little rest. When you're tired, everything looks worse. But you find them, they're so tired, it says they're teetering around, they can barely stand up. The second reason goes right along with that. In verse 10, it says, and the the strength of the laborers is teetering and failing, and there's so much. They're frustrated. We've been working our fingers to the bone. We've worked to the point of exhaustion, and there is significant because it connects the thoughts with the previous statement. They had expended all this energy, and there was still so much they could hardly work. Frustrated. 
You work so hard and, and yet you get frustrated because you don't see the results. All you can see is everything that's left. Y'all ever get frustrated? I, I think Jesus even got frustrated at times. I really do. I, he probably got frustrated with his disciples numerous times. It's just not recorded for us. And yet, that's part of our life. There's a, we, we work so hard and we still see a lot of rubbish. Reminds me of a little boy. Actually, it was a farmer who was traveling down the road and he found a little boy who was trying to put a load of hay back on a wagon. It had fallen off. And the farmer had pity on him and said, son, why don't you come eat lunch with me? I'm on the way to lunch. And when we get back, I'll help you put your hay on the wagon. And he said, I don't, I don't think my dad would like that very much. And the man insisted. So the boy went with him. And about two hours later, after they'd had lunch and rested a little bit, they came back. And as they were putting the hay back on the wagon, the farmer got to thinking, well, this year is a young man out here by himself with all this responsibility and, and trying to put this hay back on this wagon and transport this load of hay. He said, son, where is your father? He said, he's under that load of hay right there. <laughs> now, do you ever feel that way? You feel like somebody dumped the whole load on you and then just walked off. They've gone to lunch somewhere. Well, we see Nehemiah. And all, we can see, all they can see is debris and dirt and broken stone and hard, dried chunks of mortar. Rubbish and discouragement are Siamese twins. The third reason, the fault finders. Verse 10, then Judah said. Verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came. Now, a reason I read verse 7 it shows all the Ike brothers, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and all the Ike brothers. They were the criticizing from without. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and all of them, they were criticizing from without. And they, and they expected that. Those were enemies. But now you got criticism from within. Did you hear what they said? And, and verse 12 says that they came and told them 10 times. Yeah, I heard you the first time. You know what they said was going to happen? The fault finders. Y'all do know there are critics in the world, don't you? Have you ever been criticized? Isn't it fun? I just live for it. I, I get up in the morning and I, I hope somebody criticizes me today. It's so enlightening. It's so encouraging to be critical. And every church I've ever pastored had a criticism committee that was not elected, by the way. Doesn't matter what you do, you're going to have people who are going to find fault with everything you do. And it doesn't matter what you're doing for the Lord, somebody can do it better or should have done it this way or didn't agree with the way you did this or didn't like that decision. You're always going to have them. Now, this, I look around this, this room and most of you are to the age, you'll understand this, Two old Texas cowboys were riding across the range one day. They saw a herd of buffalo. So they stopped and wanted to observe those great animals. And one cowboy said to the other, have you ever seen an uglier varmint than that? The other one said, yeah, look. Look at that big, fat, ugly head, that mangy hair. They stink. And then the two cowboys rode off. One of the buffalo turned to the other and said, I think I just heard a discouraging word. 
Home on the range. Get it, folks. Okay. If you don't get it, don't, don't worry about it. I'm just here to tell you that there are people who are going to find fault with everything you do. And I'm going to tell you, it's discouraging. Whether it's an email or a text or a phone call, very few people will do it to your face. They always try to hide behind social media and do it now. But there are going to be people who find fault. The fourth reason is failure. Verse 10, rubbish is everywhere. What is rubbish? It's the remains and the garbage that's left to remind them of the sin that sent them into bondage in the first place. When the Babylonians leveled Jerusalem almost 90 years prior to this, or actually more than that, because they were in captivity 70, they're reminded of their failure. Trying to build through the rubbish. There's so much rubbish, we can't even work. We're not able to build the wall. It's a constant reminder Have you ever failed? Well, if you haven't, you will. (laughs) Trust me, you you try anything, you're going to fail from time to time. And it's discouraging when it doesn't work. You're reminded of your past. I can tell you in the ministry, I I can relate to to the pastor, the preacher, who after 20 years of ministry became an undertaker. He quit the ministry, became an undertaker. And they asked him why. He said, well, I spent three years trying to straighten out John, and John is still an alcoholic. Then I spent six months trying to straighten out Susan's marriage. She filed for divorce. Then I spent two and a half years trying to straighten out Bob's drug problem, and he's still an addict. At least now at the funeral home, when I straighten them out, they stay straight. (laughs) I've tried to help a bunch of people, and it didn't seem to work. I've tried the counseling and they still divorce. And I've tried to encourage and they still go off. It's frustrating. It's fail. You feel like a failure. And then there's another reason in verse 11 is fear. And our adversary said, now that'll grab your attention. You start listening to the enemy. The Jews who lived near them told us 10 times. When you start living too close to the enemy, you start listening to them. That's why you need to live close to God and listen to him instead. When you live too near the enemy, you listen and you become afraid. Are people living in fear today? (laughs) I would say so. If you're not afraid of of coronavirus, you're afraid of the whatever's fixing to happen to the nation. You live in fear. And it's enough to discourage you. You feel like you've lost Dennis Jimenez climbed up in the bed one night during a thunderstorm and they were trying to calm his fears. And Dennis said, I wouldn't be scared of the thunder if I could keep my mind off my thoughts. Well, a lot of people, they can't keep their mind off their thoughts, obviously. Discouragement can spread like a plague. So Nehemiah comes in and what does he do? That's what I want to focus on for a few minutes. What's the remedy for it? This is not an exhaustive list, but as we look at this passage of Scripture, let's see what Nehemiah, the great leader, did to help overcome them wanting to stop. I I heard a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, one of them who's a pastor now, he said you have to work your way out of discouragement and depression. It doesn't just go away. 
you begin to work your way out of it. What I mean by is you start doing things and doing things and your focus gets off of you and all your discouragement and your depression. So what do they do? If you look at verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, after all these attacks, verbally, we made our prayer to our God. If you go back to chapter 1 before Nehemiah ever went, you see the word prayer or praying or prayer at least seven or eight times. In chapter 2, you find it several times as he's before the king asking for permission to go. Nehemiah's life was characterized by prayer to God. And here he says the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to intervene. God, help us. Listen, when you come to God, tell him how you feel. He already knows. So be honest with him. Lord, I, I'm ready to stop. I'm ready to quit. I'm done. Talk to him. You ever just had it out with God? Get in your, don't do this with anybody can hear you, okay? <laughs> Get off someone by yourself and just tell him. Lord, I don't like this. I'm mad about it. I don't like what they did. And just, just have a little fit with him. He's not going to strike you dead right there. He already knows how you feel. Get it out. Pray. Pray to God. God, I need your help. God's still on the throne. God's still listening. Hebrews 4 tells us that we can come to the throne of God with confidence and boldness to ask in time of need. We have a high priest who understands our grief. He understands our sorrow. He understands what we're going through. Talk to him. Verse 13, you see Nehemiah began to give them perspective. He calls them off of the wall and unifies them by having them sit in their families. Has husbands and wives and children in groups. And then he says, I want to remind you of why you're doing what you're doing. Look around you. Here's your families. That's why we're building this wall. And then he also says in verse 14, remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Be thou my vision. Remember, keep your vision on God. Remember him. Call to remembrance the things that God's done in your life. Has God done anything good in your life? Yes. Focus on that. Instead of the one or two things that have taken your focus off the Lord, it's so easy to get distracted to take our focus off him. And I want to tell you, one of the greatest things you can do for each other, or we can do for each other, is to give the gift of perspective. You're in a storm. If some of you are not in the same storm, you can say, you know what? You're in the midst of the storm, but I want to remind you that God still loves you. God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He has not turned his back on you. He's going to bring you through it. And he said he would never leave you. Even in the midst of the storm, he will never leave you. Keep your perspective. Tell yourself the truth. Sometimes I have to say, what's the truth here? What's really true? This isn't the end of the world. 
You know, we, we get discouraged and we start thinking, the end of the world has come. No, I, I want you to know, I've read through Revelation. The end of the world doesn't come until after Jesus comes. So he hadn't come yet. It's not the end of the world yet. But you know how we think, oh, this is, we're never going to recover. This is, it's all over. Well, circumstances change, but God doesn't. God's not going to leave us in the midst of all of that. The third thing, perseverance. Don't stop. Nehemiah said, look, we've got a job to do here. Here's the reason you're doing it. Don't quit. Yeah, it's hard. And I want you to know you're not by yourself. We're going to balance we're going to balance our thoughts and actions. Don't buy into that lie that says, I don't have to do anything. God does it all. No, God will do it, but he has given you abilities and a mind and, and talents to use for him to stay where you are, to keep doing it. Don't quit, to persevere. Any golfers in here? Well, we don't know her name because it's lost in history, but her record still stands. She finished last in the 1912 Shawnee Invitation for Ladies in Pennsylvania. When she teed off the 16th hole, her drive went into the Bennick Hill River. Now, then the golf balls floated. I need some of those floating ones. I've, I've baptized a lot of golf balls. Actually, I didn't baptize them because I didn't get them back. I drowned a lot of golf balls. <laughs> but with the ball floating in the river, she set out in a rowboat to play the ball where it lies. And her husband was at the oars. After flailing away for what must have seemed an eternity, she finally succeeded to drive the ball to dry land. She was a mile and a half down the river. And by the time she hacked her way back through the woods and holed out on the 16th green, she had duffed her way into 166 strokes on the 16th hole, meticulously recorded by her loving husband. <laughs> but what I want you to know is she finished. Now, I wouldn't have done it. First of all, my golf ball would have sunk in the river. I wouldn't have found it. She finished. When you read about in Joshua, Joshua and the children of Israel crossing the Jordan, going into the promised land, God said to, to Joshua in, in chapter 6, verse 2, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. Now, they were to march around Jericho once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, seven times around it. And on the seventh time around it, they were going to, the priests were going to shout, uh, blow the trumpets, and uh, they were going to shout, and the trumpets would have been blown. The walls would fall down. Now, with my sanctified imagination, can you imagine if this had been a Baptist group? First of all, we'd have formed a committee on how to take down the walls of Jericho. But regardless of that, I can imagine about the third day, they've walked around once time on the third day, and probably some of the folks in the back are going to get together and say, you know what, I think we need to get together and talk about Joshua because he's been out in the sun too long. 
And can you imagine on the seventh day, he said, today, guys, we're going around at seven times. And after seventh time, we're going to shout. They're going to blow the trumpets. The walls are going to fall down. Can you imagine the ridicule that was coming from the walls of Jericho to those people? You bunch of idiots. You're crazy. Laughing, whatever. But on that seventh time, on that seventh day, those walls fell down. What if they'd quit on the third day? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, in 2 Kings, talked about Naaman, the king of, not the king, but the general of Syria. Here he went to Elisha, and he was expecting Elisha to come out and heal him, make a big spectacle. Elisha sent a messenger out there and said, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And of course, he was angry. His servants talked him into it. So he goes to the Jordan, which is about 30 miles. And can you imagine dipping down three times going, this isn't working. I can't believe I'm doing this. But he went down seventh time, came up, and he was healed. I want to read you a couple of pages out of John Wesley's diary. John Wesley, great preacher in generations past. Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. (laughs) Sunday evening, May 5th, preached at St. John's, The deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday evening, May the 12th, preached at St. George's. Kicked out again. Next Sunday, Sunday, May 19th, Sunday morning, preached at somebody else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Sunday evening, May 19th, preached on the street. Kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the services. That sounds like a good idea, actually. Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday evening, June the 2nd, afternoon service, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came to hear me. Christianity, ministry, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You don't sprint 100 yards and say, I'm done. It's a lifelong marathon. You need to be like the little second grader, Bobby, who was asked by a teacher, why are you sticking your stomach out, Bobby? He said, the principal told me to. I told him this morning I had a stomach ache. He told me to stick it out till noon and I could go home. <laughs> you need to stick it out. You need to hang in there. You don't quit. Perseverance. And the last thing is partnership. If you look in verses 19 to 20, he said, 19 to 21, he said, wherever you hear the trumpet, when you hear it sound, go there. Because that means we need to fight. So you get to work. If you hear the trumpet sound, go to that place. And what that meant was that they were not going to do this alone. They were going to fight together. They were in this together. Folks, aren't you glad that you see some other people here today? Can you imagine me preaching to just you? (laughs) 
It's encouraging to see other believers. That's why we assemble together because it's an encouragement to know you're not alone in the world. And, and to partner, we partner with other people around the world and around the country trying to encourage and help. But partnership, he said, we're going to finish this job, but you cannot do it alone. You have to have other people. And one of the greatest things you can do, and I've already mentioned this, is we can give the gift of perspective to one another. I'm praying for you. You're going to make it. I love you. Don't give up. How can I help you? And so forth. A chicken farmer had land next to a river that flooded just about every spring. The floods caused him horrendous problems. When the waters would come up, he would flood, and flood his chicken coops. He would race to move his chickens to higher ground. And some years, hundreds of them drowned before he got them out in time. One year after suffering heavy losses from a particularly bad flood, he came into the farmhouse and in a voice filled with despair, he told his wife, I've had it. I can't afford to buy another place. I cannot sell this one. I don't know what to do. And his wife, in a very calm voice, said, buy ducks. <laughs> That's the gift of perspective. Not really. But they do float, don't they? <laughs> you see, when you, if you want to be miserable in the Christian life and you want to be miserable in Christian service and ministry, spend your life on yourself. Don't spend it on anybody else and you'll be absolutely miserable. Partnership is when we spend our lives helping others and serving with others and working together because some days some days you're going to be on the mountaintop and your buddy's going to be under the mountain. And some days you're going to, your buddy's going to be on the mountaintop and you're going to be under the mountain. And it's, it's amazing how when you come that we're not all under the mountain at the same time. We need each other. That's why he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together to exhort one another and encourage when you see the day approaching. You've, we've we've got to be reminded we're not alone. Now, I'm not trying to give you a simple fix for discouragement because I know there are myriad reasons that people get discouraged, but I can relate to these. I can relate to every one of those. Every last one of them. And then I think, you know what? If I can give myself the gift of perspective, I can tell myself the truth. If I will focus on God and focus on his word instead of social media and the news, I'm going to be better. You're not going to get the right perspective from social media or the news because the end of the world is happening according to them. But we know better, don't we? We know who holds our future. I don't know what it looks like, but I know who holds it, and that is the Lord Jesus. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, 
You have no hope. You're empty. Your life's empty. You're miserable. You may try to grab everything the world has to offer and it just leaves you empty until you come to the realization that this God-shaped emptiness in you can only be filled with him. You have the capacity to know God. You are a spiritual creature. God is spirit. And when you don't have him, you are dead spiritually. So you ask God to forgive you, believing that Jesus paid the price. He he crossed it. He was the bridge from sin to God. He died for our sin, rose again. And when you place your faith and you trust in Jesus... That God-shaped vacuum is filled with his spirit, which then gives you life and the rest of you, your mind, emotions, your will. He guides you. And if you don't have him, you've, you've got nothing. And you can have him today. If you're a believer, a Christian, you're gonna have times of discouragement, but just don't stay there. Remind yourself, remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're watching us online, would you please hit that connect button? Don't, don't disconnect until you've allowed somebody to help you and pray with you in a decision. They will help you if you'll hit that button, whatever it says. I need somebody to pray with me, whatever. And those of you who are here, you can receive the Lord right now. Father, we come asking you to speak to the hearts that are here. For those without Jesus, please show them the emptiness that's there and bring them to salvation by asking you to forgive them and then by trusting Jesus with their life. For those of us who've been believers a long time, Lord, we get discouraged. There's no doubt. Help us to hang in there with your strength and guidance and perspective. Help us to be a catalyst for others. Help us to encourage other people. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you want them to be, then bring bring them here. I pray for those that need to be baptized. They've been obedient by being saved, but they still need to be baptized to profess publicly their salvation if you're in this room you can take that card and on that card you can put my decision today and you drop it in the box we will call you on the telephone if you got some prayer requests you can put those there also after we're dismissed there'll be several of us here at the front with our mask on to pray with you or to help you in any commitment that you want to talk about or to pray with you. So Lord, I do lift up those who may have just been watching us on the media today that you speak to their heart. I pray for those that are here that need to make commitments to you that you would draw them to you and change their life. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the fact that we can always call on you. I pray you'll lift up the hearts of your people today. Help us not to live in fear, but to be our vision to focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.